Very good afternoon to everyone. Let's try again. Good afternoon, everyone. If you are new to our church, we are currently on a sermon series to study Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Our assigned scripture passage for this weekend is from Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 34. But instead of reading all 16 verses at one go, I will read portions of them throughout this sermon. And so, can I invite you to open your Bibles or switch on your Bible apps with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. We will read verse 19 to 21, and then we will skip to verse 33 and 34. I will read from the NRSV updated edition. Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's skip to verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us keep our Bibles open as we will return to them later. In this segment, Jesus offered two do nots. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth and do not worry. These two prohibitions were accompanied with two instructions. In verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And so, what is the kingdom of God? To seek the kingdom of God is to seek the reign of Christ in our lives. And this is where God's perfect love now reigns in us. And I want to suggest right from the start, that I believe to store up treasures in heaven is synonymous, it is exactly the same with seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And this is why Jesus said to the rich young man in Matthew chapter 19, verse 21, where He says, if you wish to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come. Follow me. And so I I believe that to store up treasures in heaven is synonymous with seeking first the kingdom of God. It is the same as being perfect. So how do we get to perfection? This is commonly taught as the third and final stage of the Christian spiritual life. That the three stages are purification, illumination, and perfection. Although this Uh, Stages are not perfectly linear. They tend to mirror the stages of our adult development, childhood, adolescent, and adulthood. In the purification stage, we experience a conversion experience. This stage is predominantly marked with peace with God because we now take our first step to stop being enemies, striving against God. We repent of our life of sin and we desire a life with God. That leads us to the illumination stage. In the illumination stage, we are enlightened by the truth of God. That helps us to discern between sinful deception and God's ways to walk in Christ's likeness. This 
Then leads us to the perfection stage where we are united with God in love. And in, in this stage, the person has boundless love for God and others. He has a constant awareness of God's presence and he habitually conforms to God's will. And this is what John Wesley describes as Christian perfection. So the first stage of purification is marked with peace with God. The second stage, illumination, marked with truth from God. And the third stage, perfection, love. Perfection is where sin no longer reigns in our bodies. But it is the love of God that reigns in us right now. Right, This perfect love rules our attitudes, our temperaments, so that we may love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And so my friends, Christian perfection is not a sinless perfection. It is not perfect behavior, but it is a perfection of our love for God. And this is why Jesus offers this insight in verse, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The goal of Christian perfection isn't just so that Jesus will live and recite in us. It is so that he will reign in us. And this is, this is why, my friends, is Jesus merely a resident residing in your heart? Or is he the president reigning in our hearts? Christian perfection is when Jesus in us has moved from being a resident to being the president of our lives. The reign of God's kingdom in our lives will affect, it will influence the choice of our pursuits and our possessions. Do you remember the five C's? Some of you, do you remember the five C's? Right? When I was a young man, the, the five C's of cash, car, condo, credit card, and country club were common aspirations. Um, pursuit in our society. Today, I noticed that to, um, our society has matured in such a way that there are new seas, new aspirations such as creation care or even meaningful jobs instead of job security. Likewise, the reign of God's kingdom in our lives also help us to mature and realize that what I once, I once considered a treasure may actually be garbage or trash which isn't worth keeping at all. And since we are in the last weekend of March, I would like you to pause for a while right now. Just pause for a while. What treasures have you been seeking and storing up in these past three months? What treasures have you been pursuing, my friends, in these past three months? As I continue speaking, I want you to take a good look at your treasure and consider these 3D questions about your pursuits and your possessions. And this will be a good chance for you to consider, are they trash or are they treasure? The first D is durability. How long will your treasure last? In the ancient days, the items that will be considered treasure are clothes, stockpiles of food, and precious metals such as, such as steel and gold. Clothes in those days are expensive and yet can be destroyed by moths. We know that precious metals can be destroyed by rust or stolen by robbers. Stockpiles of food can be eaten by locusts and vermin, such as rats. Today, our earthly treasures are quite different. We have better quality clothes and bags that have been treated to 
prevent damage. But they can still become moldy, right? There was this lady who, who kept her items in a storage unit while she was looking for a house. It's supposed to, to, to be saved from robbers and any form of damage. And she would go once a month to retrieve some of her belongings. But one year later, when she returned to retrieve all her items, she realized that, she realized that $16,000, $16,000 worth of them, such as her leather bags, books, and stainless steel table, were damaged. As my friends, the insight Jesus gave is still true for us today. All earthly treasures are not durable. They get eaten up. They get corrupted or damaged. Even technology can get outdated and it loses its value very quickly. I owned one of these Ericsson phones when I was a student and it cost me a few hundreds of dollars. How many of you had this phone before? It's okay, you know. Some of you are showing your age with me. It's all right, right? <laughs> this was, um, I probably, I think probably launched in the 90s. Now, more than 20 years later, it is being sold for $2 in the vintage store. $2. Some of our iPads and smartphones, which once cost us hundreds or even thousands of dollars, are now considered so outdated, the mobile shops refuse to receive them as trade-ins. You know, right? Some of us, our cars, our prized possessions, they are your second wife. Right, they are very expensive and you've worked so hard to finally afford the, the down payment for this brand new car you've been saving up for. It's perfect and you're really happy. The, the day you step into the car, wow, it's beautiful. The leather smells new. The steel and the built-in navigation, wow, music to your ears. It's perfect. But it doesn't take very long before a bird just flies by and poops on your shiny car. It doesn't take very long before someone opens his door carelessly and causes a scratch or dent on your car. What was once great joy is now battered with poop, scratches and dents. It's not so perfect anymore. After two years, it's outdated compared to the newer models driven on the roads. And I'm still referring to cars, okay? But if, if, but if it's, but the truth is, you still have to pay your monthly installments. And since the, the COE for your car is only for 10 years, by the time you finish paying for your installments, you have to start saving up again. Many of us are plagued with worries because our earthly treasures are not durable. Because it doesn't last, you are worried about how to keep having them. And so allow me to continue reading Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. The eye is the lamb of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And so the second D question is distortion. Does it contribute to spiritual health? or spiritual disease for our souls? Does it distort Christ's likeness in me? Jesus now moves from the importance of having our heart in the right place, in verse 21, to the importance of having our eyes sound and healthy. The argument seems to go like this. Just as our eye affects our whole body, so our vision and our intentions, where we fix our eyes and our hearts, 
our visions, our intentions also affects our whole life as well. And perhaps that's why Michael W. Smith pens the words of his songs, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. A healthy eye leads us to God's perfect love in two ways. Firstly, their lives are lived out according to God's word. God's kingdom reigns in them through their obedience, their spiritual health. We see the fruit of the spirit growing in them, such as love, joy, and peace. In our interactions with them, there is a sense of holy reverence where they are leaning onto Christ in prayer constantly. Have you seen such people? A healthy eye also leads us to God's perfect love, where His love and power is poured out through us to others, such as Mother Teresa and the missionaries of charity who vowed to give wholehearted free service to the poor. But John Stock cautions, he says this, but if our vision becomes clouded by the false gods of materialism and we lose our sense of values, then our whole life is in darkness and we cannot see where we are going. I may have started with a healthy pursuit in my workplace or family, but it can become distorted and unhealthy. My friends, when, when our perspectives are distorted by materialism, we are blind to God's truth. My eyes are unhealthy. My heart is in the wrong place. I unknowingly develop a strong preference about wanting my way, not God's way. No matter what my friends or my leaders suggest, I turn a blind ear to them. I will keep creating new excuses, excuses again and again. Because we resist God's way, we want our way, not God's. Because we resist God's ways, we do not have God's peace at all. Instead of God's love, worries reign in us. Instead of God's love, worries reign in us. Our choice in earthly treasures makes us worried. And so my friends, have your treasures distorted you? This therefore brings us to our third D. Devotion to God. Devotion to God. Does this treasure lead me into deeper devotion to God? Jesus said in Matthew 6.24, No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The original Aramaic word for wealth in this passage is mammon. This goes beyond money to include all that a person owns, all his possessions. The root meaning for mammon involves the concept of trust. Mammon is what you place your trust in. The word mammon comes from the same root word for amen. And so a pastor once said, mammon is what you give your amen to. And one of the dangers about wealth is that it offers us an illusion of control. Wealth is a means of wielding power. It allows us to think that we are in control of the world. Because this is merely an illusion of control, we are constantly worried that we lose the power it holds. And so we cling on to it for dear life. And this is why Scott McKnight says, Money has a way of freezing our hands and feet. It's not the icon. Money has a way of freezing our hands and feet and stiffening our hearts. 
it has a way of becoming like golem's ring. Love the rings, huh? Like golem's ring. Something we cannot do without. And that becomes the focus of our attention. And this is why God doesn't want us to just seek the kingdom of God. He wants us to seek first the kingdom of God. It is a complete devotion, not a half-baked devotion to God. And so my friends, look at your posture. I'm not asking about your physical posture actually. Your spiritual posture. Do you have a posture of complete surrender to God in devotion? But my friends, does seeking God's kingdom mean that I do nothing but wait for His earthly provision? Does this mean I do nothing? No. John Wesley recognized that Jesus' words could fire up people into behaviors that were irresponsible. And so in his sermon on this topic, John Wesley clarified, this command does not forbid us from time to time storing up what we need to conduct our earthly business in the amount and degree sufficient to fulfill our Christian duties. He gave some examples. For example, we still have Christian duties to fulfill, such as earning to sustain ourselves with food and housing. For example, in 2 Test chapter 3, verse 10, Paul instructed that whoever refuses to work should not eat. The second type of Christian duties includes providing for the needs of our family, such as our children's education. Thirdly, owing no one anything but the debt of love. And fourthly, saving up for God's purposes to serve, such as for a mission trip or to pay for the cost to learn a new ministry skill. And so my friends, to lay up treasures on earth does not mean that we stop making sensible provision uh, for the future. But what Jesus is forbidding here is the selfish accumulation of goods like golem's ring or the infinity stones. This materialism tethers our hearts to the extravagant, self-centered living so much that we ignore the colossal needs of people around us and do so little or maybe too little to address the problems. Seeking first the kingdom of God should not result in irresponsible living. Well, now that we've covered the questions for discerning if our pursuits and possessions are trash or treasure, I want to suggest the four R's for how we may seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness practically. But first, let us turn to Matthew 6, 25-34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into buns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your span of life? And what do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toy nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of this. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, 
saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who seek all these things and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. The first R for seeking first God's kingdom is refuse to worry. When we choose trashed, right my friends, when we choose trashed, instead of storing up treasures in heaven, we are soaked with worries. We are so stuck and paralyzed with worry, we stop seeking God's kingdom first. Because we're not looking with the eyes of our hearts, we are quietly, quietly resisting doing things God's way. We are quietly resisting God. And each time our human eyes are fixated on the worries around us, we begin to crave and cling for the illusion of control. My friends, we must refuse to worry. We must also remember that we are God's beloved. And this is the second R. Remember that we are God's beloved. Jesus, my friends, Jesus left the glories of heaven to come down on earth for His treasure. And His treasure is us, each one of us here. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. According to John Piper, it does not say you will never feel any anxieties to cast onto God. But it says that when the mud splatters on your windshield and you lose temporary sight of the road and you start to swerve in anxiety, just turn on your wipers. Squirt your windshield wiper. And so cast your concerns to God. My friends, I was looking for something yesterday. And then I realized, hmm, perhaps I should pray. And guess what I did? The moment I prayed, I found the item. And I was initially thinking, huh, I shouldn't bother God, huh? or waste my prayer credits. But God reminded me, Son, I love you. Tell me anything. I do not limit the amount of prayers on my children. My friends, even though God never, there's no idea, there's no such thing as prayer credits. And, but even if there is, God has given us unlimited prayer credits. Okay? Remember, as His children, you have unlimited prayer credits. No prayer is too trivial. In fact, my friends, Matthew 6, 2, 6.32 says, The Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. The Gentile believers do not know God, and so they're easily filled with anxiety and worry. Easily filled with anxiety and worry. And if this is true, how different are we from the Gentile unbelievers? Or, or are you the same? Exactly like them. Are you exactly like them in the way you deal with your anxiety? That it overwhelms you, controls you, paralyzes you? That you cannot see what God is doing? That the reign of God, the love, the reign of God's love is not in you? My friends, you must remember that you are loved more than the birds and lilies. Remember, remember that don't live like the Gentile unbelievers. And so as we refuse to worry, remember that we are God's beloved, we now take the third step to refocus. We need to refocus to pay attention 
to God's presence and purpose in the present moment. Through the various duties in our state of life, God is revealing His will for us in the present moment. He is surfacing them up from one moment to the next. He's surfacing, he's surfacing, he's surfacing them up. And so if we pay attention to his holy presence, we become more in tune with the promptings of the Holy Spirit at each moment. There was a horror movie in the 2000s, the early 2000s called The Eye. It was about a lady who had an eye transplant. Initially, she was glad to have her eyesight restored. But this gift of sight soon became a curse for her. She starts to foresee deaths because each time she sees mysterious figures standing beside these people who are about to die. Right? She starts to foresee deaths. But what if, like this lady who could see mysterious figures, we could see God in our everyday life. Well, this new lady, this lady's new eye was a curse. We need to open our spiritual eyes to receive the gift of seeing God in our present moment. By paying attention to God in the present moment, we are also becoming open to how God will become not the resident, but the president of our lives. Paying attention to God's presence and purpose in our present moment is at the very, very heart of prayer. And this is why in his book, The Attentive Life, Leighton Ford, he explains, I like to think of the attentive life also as the contemplative life. For contemplative, literally means putting together. We connect the dots between the chronos and the kairos of our life. We relate the hours that we measure by the clock to the hours and seasons of our soul. Attentiveness means a willingness to listen for God's voice and readiness to obey. And so my friends, there will be burning bushes in our paths and there are signs planted in our daily lives. These burning bushes are opportunities to listen and pay attention to God's action among us. Earlier this week, I was driving through a private residential estate where the two-way road already had cars parked on one side of the road. And this would mean that cars from both directions will need to share the only lane available. Right, there's only one way. Right, and we will need to take turns to, to give way. We have to give, we have to take turns to give way so that cars from both sides may pass. Of course, this is not the actual, uh, this is not the actual situation. This photo is for illustration purposes. While driving along this road, right, I saw a, a car from the opposite direction waiting for me to move aside for him to pass. And this was really odd for me because I was, I was really driving past a few cars on the side. And like he was at the front of this group of cars. He could have easily moved to the side. But since his car was parked right, well, was stopped right in front, right, I decided to shift my car to the side to make way for him. I did, and I waited. But he didn't move an inch. So I signaled for him. I told him, yeah, you can go through. I mean, I signaled. I still telling him, you can go through now. He, he still didn't move an inch. And I was puzzled, especially since his car wasn't moving to the side to let me through, right? So I inched my car some more to the side 
to give him more space to drive through. But he still didn't move. I was puzzled. This stand still went on for another five minutes. Is there something wrong? Finally, the man waved his, waved his hand to signal to me. You know, he's doing this, telling me to, to reverse my car, to move out. Then I, I look at my rear view mirror and realize, wow, he wants me to reverse past five cars. And just as I was thinking about that, a lady who was walking her dog, yeah, this was in the morning, she was walking her dog, she smiled brightly at the man, she waved at him and told him, to, as though signaling to him to come forward, she showed him the thumbs up sign, that, and like, as though telling him there's space. So naturally the man um, succumbed to peer pressure, and he reluctantly moved, started driving his car forward, but not without stopping beside my car, and started to unwind his window. So I can imagine I could see his window and he started to unwind his window. A confrontation was at the door. A confrontation was at the door. And I must confess, my body tensed up for a fight. There's a reason why my coach used to call me the, the punisher in my gym. Right? So my body tensed up for a fight. And so guess what I did? Nothing. I decided that I would not respond to his impending rage. So I kept my windows up. I looked straight ahead. And, and I waited for him to just drive through, drive past me. As I, as I was later reflecting on this, my initial question was, who has the right of way? But my friends, so what if I had the right of way? So what if I had the right of way? The right of way does not mean the right to be mean to someone. Remember that, my friends. The right of way does not mean the right to be mean to someone. And yet, as I pay attention to this burning bush in my head, like those Hong Kong films where the person is so angry, the man's hair was on fire, right? I was thinking about this burning bush. I realized there is a better way. I could have given my, my right of way to him. And my friends... I could have reversed my car for him. Why, why so, my friends? Because giving up my right of way is not cowardice, but courage to carry the cross and follow Jesus. It is not cowardice, but courage to carry my cross and follow Jesus. Leighton thought, thought this, paying attention is not a way by which we make something happen. Paying attention is a way to see what God has given to us. And in this case, paying attention to God's presence and purpose in the present moment is realizing how I may respond with love instead of reacting with anger. And this is the final R. Respond with God's love. We can seek first the kingdom of God even when we drive. I know my friends, our Singapore roads are very unredeemed. Every one of us here look very holy. But the moment you step into your cars, you are a different creature. Right, you, you, your tag goes from Christian to add in the unchristian down there. Right, we really, really need to pray for our unredeemed our drivers. But my friends, I hope the reign of Christ will reign in you even as you drive. Right? We need to seek first the kingdom of God even when we drive. We need to let others have their way. Let them go first. We, we, love does not insist on its way. Love is not seeking our own good. It is seeking kindness. For others, in his book, Persecution and Perfection, uh, Joe Morris shared an account in the 3rd century 
when a Roman commander heard rumors that a church had accumulated treasures, great treasures. Perhaps it was a church like Wesley Methodist Church. So imagine with me, his soldiers storm into the church where they had gathered like us here. And he threatened the pastor saying, give me, give me all your treasures. Show me where they are and I will let you free. So what do you think the, the pastor did? Pastor Clement, what would you have done? Sashi, you were sitting already at the back. What would you have done? What about Caris? What would you have done? Well, my friends, what did the pastor do? The pastor showed the Roman commander all the widows, the orphans, the needy whom they were serving. And then the pastor said to him, These are our treasures. The Roman commander was so offended, he burned the pastor. The real treasures are seen in the people we serve, even the rude and unkind. And so will you focus your heart's attention on God today? Will you choose to store up treasures in heaven and trust that God is watching and leading us at each moment of our journey? And so as I end today's message, I want to give you a chance to just linger in God's presence. Let us put, put aside our note-taking devices Let's, let's just go to God for a while. As we now linger in God's presence, consider the question that I've given at the start of our message. What have you been worried about? What have you been pursuing in the past three months? I want to invite you to speak to God about the worries of your heart. It could be the presentation or the situation that you need to deal with tomorrow. You could be worried about your children or your parents. The deadline that's pressing hard on you. I want to invite you right now. Tell God your worries. Cast your cares unto Him because our Father, our Heavenly Father cares for you. For some of us, the things that weigh on our hearts are so heavy, we can barely come to church. The things that weigh on our heart are so heavy, it is hard to think about things of God or even attend to the things of God. And our Lord says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you, my child, I will give you rest. If you are worried, if you are weary and heavy laden, our God invites you to cast them to heaven right now. If you're one of them, I want to invite you to also just raise up your hands, put them down, so that so that we may pray for you. This will be your act of releasing and lifting up your worries to heaven. I see your hand at the back. I see your hand in front as well. I see your hand. God sees each hand. He sees the worries on your heart as well. 
our Heavenly Father says, even to those who are watching online, God sees your worries. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Abba Father, we want to lift up to you all these concerns my fellow brothers and sisters have. Lord, Lord, we know that because you are our Heavenly Father, you care for each one of us, and you say, come to me. Just as each one of us have raised up our hands, calling God, I need your help. You too are raising your hand from heaven to us to lift us up so that we may soar on wings like eagles, that you will lift up the burden so that we may go forth in dancing and, 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 and songs of praise, Almighty God. I pray, Lord Father, you help us, Lord. Today, we want to surrender to you all our concerns. We want to surrender all our worries that have plagued and burdened us so tremendously, oh God. We confess we need your help. We confess that our eyes are so unspiritual. We have been, we have been so prone to wonder and worry. Lord, our hearts, our hearts are in the wrong place, oh God. I pray you will, you will, you will stir and, and, and heal our hearts, oh God. May you open our eyes also so that you will be our true vision, that you will be the true Lord of our lives. Will you be our true treasure? Abba Father, we want you. Abba Father, we desperately want you to reign as the president of our hearts. Teach us to recognize your holy presence right now, your holy purpose in each moment so that we may respond to you in love and faith so that the love of Christ will just fill every room, every home, every workplace that we step into, God. We do not want to go where you didn't send us to. God, so have your way today in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.